Hi. This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's I am Corinne. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Sabrina. And my brain just decided to stop working as we were recording. I truly like letters are not working in my mouth. Like there's no brain to mouth connectivity right now. Well, good thing we write down the majority of what we're going to say. Obviously not the first 15 minutes. That's just bullshit. (laughs) And I have no excuse. I don't know what's happening. Well, you've been staring at a screen for a really long time. Because we've been true. revisiting some of our, our previous episodes and, and doing some things and chatting. And that's what you were doing. You were staring at the yeah. screen for too long. And also and in doing over. that, we realized how many times we forget to say, this is two girls, one ghost at the top. That's why yeah. I prioritized it. Yes. Just like, hello, here's who we are. I'm following your lead today. So thank you for taking oh, charge. <laughs> well, this isn't – together, this isn't a great situation because you can barely speak – and I'm just like furious at the world because I freaking hate daylight savings. I literally oh, hate it. I'm gosh. sitting in darkness all day long. I know. And my seasonal really depression sad. is kicking in. And I, yeah. But I think yeah. I found a hack. Here's my Funny. hack. What's your hack? <laughs> I have decided that I need to romanticize the darkness. Ooh. And so tonight I actually was in a pretty good mood when I was making dinner, even though it was dark at 4 p.m. Because I played like old jazz oh and really gosh. just pretended that I was like in this rom-com. Yeah, oh, I it love was really that. nice. When you said romanticize the darkness, I was like, ooh, read some Edgar Allan Poe. I, I mean, that too, Which is honestly. very different from what you did. Well, that's still, I don't know, that's still, it's an old author, yes. brings you back to middle school assignments. Maybe that's more anxiety-induced. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But there is something actually about the darkness or how dark it is early that reminds me of going to school, like high school and middle school specifically. Really? I don't know why. I, maybe it's like the temperatures as well as they're dropping. Yeah. There's just something like it brings me back to those days. Yeah, I'm starting to get certain smells like the, the mm. scent outside today. I was like, oh, it smells like a ski resort because it was oh. cold, crisp air mixed with someone had some sort of bonfire going. I don't know where there's a bonfire wow. in the city of Boston, but that's what it smelled like. But it's, yeah, it's all those nostalgic moments. Yeah. Just got to romanticize the night. That's a good idea. I do like how it's brighter earlier, though, because if I wake up and it's dark, I'm miserable. True. I agree with that. And I've been waking up a lot earlier and actually getting stuff done. I still get everything done before it gets dark because I'm just starting my day earlier. But I do. I'm also excited because I moved. Surprise, surprise. I move apartments every freaking year in Boston. (laughs) But I moved again, and the building that I'm in But sits- you've been there for a little while. It's not a brand new move, to clarify. No, I moved in June. Yes. Yeah. So this was months ago. But the building that I'm in sits above the majority of other buildings. So I kind of look down at a lot of buildings, and I think it's going to look when the snow falls and it becomes dusk. I'm convinced that it's going to look like one of those Christmas village drawings, <gasps> you know, where they're all oh like stacked. Gosh. So I'm yeah. I'm waiting for this first snowfall so I can start taking pictures and, and send oh, them to you. I want to be there. You can come. There's nothing stopping you. That's true. I don't have a job. This is my job. <laughs> this, this is my job right this now. So I can basically right spend all day with you, which I'm sure you would love. I'm I'll just come it. live with you. Perfect. <laughs> Indefinitely. I mean, I'll I'll convert our office into a guest bedroom. I love it. It can serve that purpose. We don't I don't who needs to work? I don't need to work. <laughs> just I'll make you a bedroom here and then we can frolic around the city all day. 
if I do stay with you, you'll be working and I'll just be like looking over your shoulder. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you, are you doing? Yet? Are, are you, you done doing? yet? Can we go explore? But I would say yes. I'd be like, I'm blocking my calendar. I'm saying I have specific <laughs> work to be. I have a meeting with a outside person. <laughs> Potential client. <laughs> Potential client. I'm, I'm literally, who? I'm not in sales. Who's my client? You're, you're, you made your own source, you, your own connection that you were going to pass on to sales, but you needed to meet with them first. If we don't even have a sales team. I'm in <laughs> HR. My client are – it is the employees of the organization I work for. Okay. Well, then you found an experiment for the lab. I did. I've got I've to go collect rats from the city. A specimen. Specimen. <laughs> For this experiment that I have created for everybody. Oh my god, we because are I'm so much smarter than all scientists. Scientists, we um, are good at science and math. How did this? How did you coming to visit turn into me becoming this like <laughs> weird rat lady of Boston who comes up with these strange experiments? This is, I, don't I feel know, but sorry I'm here for these for rats. It. Like you're just gonna become teenage ninja mutant. Whoa, I know. Ninja mutant. Whoa, why can't I say it? Ninja. Wait, mutant. Oh, Teenage fuck. Mutant ninja <laughs> Ninja turtles. turtle. There you go. That's yes. a tongue twister. Or like the a rat guy twister. that lives Ratatouille? down. No, no. From Hey Arthur. The guy that lives like in the tunnels. Why in the I sewage system. That? They're like rat king. I don't in know. Hey Arthur? Un- unpopular opinion. I think cat- cats. Oh my God, Sabrina. I'm catching <laughs> what you contagious. have. contagious. <laughs> I think rats are very cute. And I was at a restaurant the other day Me and there too. were some rats that were playing with each other and they were like <gasps> t- tumbling over and like running in circles and running around this tree and like running up it a little bit and down. And I think other people were horrified because I yeah. recently walked by again and there was a rat box out in that oh. little park where they were seen. But I thought it was the cutest thing. Even though they were like five feet from my dinner table. I was like, oh, look at them play. You live in a city. They're... It, they're inevitable. But I couldn't agree with you more. I am such a, like, rats, mice, moles, cute little, like, furry yeah. critter lover. Yeah, rodents like, are cute love rodents. to us. Love them. Yes. We love rodents, and we're going to make t-shirts that say it. Yeah, so everybody knows. Naked mole rat season. <laughs> that's that's what it is. It kind of makes it. sense with your love of Bigfoot. Like, there's some connection there. I have to send you – I'll obviously do a it TikTok? after. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's it's not having to do with Bigfoot, but it was – wait, did I already send it to you? Someone – I don't know. God, I always hate when I say, like, I saw a TikTok, and then I never say who whose username it was because I, I never have it handy. But someone posted and said, this is your sign to put a wig on your sphinx cat. Oh, you did send me that. Did I send? Oh, my God. That you was sent so me that funny. One. Well, actually, maybe maybe Allie sent me that one. Someone sent it to me. Yeah. You're the default receiver of all the cat, yeah. the cat videos. Yeah, I am. I am. So good. Well, there's going to be a whole lot more of being inside now that it gets cold and TikToking and listening to podcasts and maybe joining us on Green Room every Tuesday. Yes. We are actually, when this episode comes out, an episode of our Green Room will have already been posted on our feed. Yes, that's true. For people yeah. that are wondering what happens after we are live, the episodes, we have them. We record them. Well, and we'll <laughs> we almost missed the first one. We almost lost it to the void because we didn't oh, download was, it quickly enough. Oh my god, yes. That was that was full <laughs> panic. 
It's like sweating. I was like, oh my God, we are such failures. Everyone's going to be so <laughs> mad at us. But it was but recovered. We got it. There's yeah. people at Spotify that are a lot brighter than we are that, they have that our knew backs. we would likely forget. <laughs> <laughs> they even were like, before we even forgot, they were like, in the future, email the episodes directly to us. Yeah. They knew. Oopsie. No. Oopsie. Anyway, we are going to post the live episodes three weeks later. So if you yeah. hop on stage with us and you're looking to listen to the one you were in, it will be posted only three weeks later. So not that much time to wait. And we're also posting them Wednesdays. Yes. So At join us. Midnight slash 3 a.m. Right. So you can hop on live green room with us. Yeah. Go to bed. Rest your little your little face. Wake up. And then listen to another Green Room episode. From weeks prior. From weeks prior. Posted on our feed. I'm also yeah. feeling like I'm struggling with words now. Yeah. What's going on with us? Should we do something to like wake up? Smack ourselves? <sighs> I feel like the ghosts are draining us of our energy right now. I know. What's going How on? Rude. Like, How rude. How rude. I know I've said this before, but I feel like I need to say it again. Goliath, I just watched the <laughs> last season, season – Jesus. The last it's season okay. that just came out. It's the fifth season of Goliath. Goliath is one of the best shows ever made. And okay, no one's talking it. about it. Nobody's watched it. And I feel like if other people had, I would get more than five seasons. It's already okay. – it's – the train has left the station there. It's they done. already did their – Yes, this is but their – they just a lot. released their fifth, se- fifth and final season. But it is, is a lot. unreal. I need to learn more about it because I'm I'm pretty convinced either the actors are like superb and the writing is superb or it was one of those shows where they were like, here's the general direction of the scene. Just like do what you will with it. Because the writing, I feel like the characters, they just feel so real. And I just can't stop thinking about Goliath. It's oh so my good. I love it. I want – I feel how you felt with Outlander where you were like, I need someone to talk to about it. Yeah. And that's me now. Someone needs – With to, Goliath. Please, well, someone okay. talk sure to me about it. I'm sure we have plenty of listeners who watch it. So send Corinne a message. Okay. Thank you. Hit her up. It's my book club, but it's my TV club. Your TV club. That was fun. Alrighty. Eek, this is a fun one. It's about time we revisit this topic. Aliens. Aliens. from the sky to beam you up to their mothership and take out your organs, examine them, and then return them to your body and return you to bed and wipe your memory. And then you have nothing but mud on your feet. (laughs) I was ready for you to keep going. That was beautiful. <laughs> oh, I love it. I could have, but then my brain caught up with what was happening and it was like, why are you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but this is such a timely topic because when we covered aliens, let's say four years ago, everyone's like, meh, meh, meh. but now I feel like the amount of activity that has just been increasing is exponential. And I don't know if it's because people are home, people are just more observant, maybe, of what's going on. Yeah. Or if if there's really a huge uptick in uh, extraterrestrials maybe coming to visit our planet. a reckoning coming. I don't get me started. You know I believe every conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> this is my own, so buckle up. <laughs> the aliens are coming to abduct as many people as possible. 
to put a protection on them. And then they'll come and wipe out everyone but the people with the protections on them. And how do you get a protection? What what qualifies you? Honestly, I have no idea, Corinne, because for years I was asking aliens to abduct me and there has been no sign of success. So I don't know. Although maybe maybe what you don't realize is that they can't abduct you because you are part alien. And your mm. theory is – your conspiracy theory is not actually a conspiracy theory. You have unknowingly become the messenger for your oh alien gosh. species. That is a huge privilege. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you to all my fans out there. Yeah. <laughs> Follow me at Alien Sabrina on TikTok. <laughs> Do you have OnlyFans? <laughs> Can you imagine? Actually, I feel like that would do well. There's that one girl that posts all of the Bigfoot videos on TikTok of her in a Bigfoot but does she suit have with like an a bow. And, well, no, but I feel like, oh. you know, like a some little sexy costume with an alien mask on. I feel like that would – I think there's people that what would What if watch I did that. a OnlyFans in my Voldemort costume? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Oh, I'm going to get out my Bigfoot costume and then I'm going to make a foot OnlyFans account with my Bigfoot feet. Oh, my god! And I'm just going to comb them. Do an ASMR. Comb my Bigfoot feet. I love it. Anyway, so this was supposed to be us telling you that we're covering aliens for this episode. But we got carried away. But I feel like people put it together. Yes. So Sabrina's going to start. I am? Okay, wonderful. I'm excited. so. Yes, you are. Okay, I love it. So I could probably talk about this topic for hours because there are so many things that have happened. I'm talking about Pine Bush, New York. It's technically not its own town. It's like a hamlet, which is like, I don't really understand it, but it's a town. Let's just pretend it's okay. Back in 2017, the government declassified a 2015 video recorded by Navy pilots aboard a Boeing F-A-18 Super Hornet fighter jet. This video documented what looked like a foreign object or foreign objects, multiple, in the sky. The pilot aboard is quoted saying, it's a whole fleet of UFOs. The video went viral and I'm sure many of you have watched it. I know, I'm pretty sure Corinne, you and I have sent it to each other in the past. Basically like one pilot's like, oh, is that a drone? But then it starts like worrying, like moving on in all weird directions and it looks like there's multiple. Yes, yes. And they're like, that's not a effing drone. Yeah. So, but I didn't know. I feel like Leia is either an alien or she was there because she's very vocal during this story. Yo, what's she's up, like, yes. sweetie? Come here. Or she's really hungry. Or she's We're trying working. to take over and tell the tale. We're working on her diet. Girl, me too, Leia. I'm also hungry. <laughs> yeah, we're we're hibernating. We're getting ready for our hibernation. <laughs> okay. So what I didn't know at the time is that the video was actually recorded over Pine Bush, New York. And no one in Pine Bush was surprised because UFO sightings in Pine Bush, New York, are a very, 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 very commonplace thing. There is something going on in Pine Bush, New York, and no one really knows why. Pine Bush, New York has been the site of a multitude of UFO encounters, abductions, and paranormal phenomena since the early 1950s. And truly, like, after doing research of this, I'm like, move over Roswell because Pine Bush has been called officially the UFO capital of the world. I'm into it. Yeah. So I'm like, I wonder if the two towns have beef because it's like the thing that they're known for. Yeah. Hey, well, this can be an East Coast, West Coast thing. Like, we have to have our own little alien UFO capital on the East Coast. Yeah. This is not true. far from either of us. We should meet in the middle here. Like, if you, if you go home for the holidays... We Whoa, should just that would bloop, be fun. zip over to Pine Bush. 
We'll see who actually makes it did, or if it someone would, gets abducted on the way. It would be like 100% guaranteed you would see something if you if we did. Okay. 100% guaranteed. That's aggressive. Ooh, tell me more. Okay, maybe 99.9% <laughs> to give little wiggle room for something to not happen. But as some history for Pine Bush, New York, it is or was one of the four early 19th century settlements in that area and has taken on many names throughout history. The population today remains pretty small. It only has... 1,780 residents. Okay, I'm looking on the map because obviously I couldn't help myself. <laughs> this place, yes, it's super tiny. They basically have like a McDonald's, a Dunkin' Donuts, yeah. whatever, one grocery store. But there's this place called the Cup and Saucer Diner. And it looks mm-hmm. super alien retro. Look, Oh, sorry. It just looks so freaking <laughs> cool. I'll let you continue. No, yeah. I mean, the town has totally embraced its namesake. And yeah, so Cup and Saucer is very UFO themed. UFO sightings began as early as the 1920s, and the surrounding area of upstate New York has been host to stories, legends, and rumors of strange encounters with foreign objects and lights in the sky and fields. But when they first started happening, these tales were just whispered between friends and families and kept pretty quiet, contained amongst the community, because everyone was just like, what are we seeing and what is happening? We don't understand this. We don't get it. Experiencing unusual activity in the night sky became commonplace, but it wasn't until 1991 that Pine Bush's encounters really went global and became a kind of world sensation. And that change was thanks to the author Ellen Crystal, who was introduced to Pine Bush back in the 1980s. And she became so interested in the accounts and tales told among Pine Bush residents that she spent 10 years researching, studying, and collecting these stories for a book that she published in 1991 called Silent Invasion. And I found the book, the PDF version of the book online, and it's only maybe 200 pages. I read a good amount of it, and I probably could have done an entire episode just on Ellen Crystal because she has so many experiences. It's like her you personal should. Accounts. You should in the future. I know, but I'm kind of giving away a lot of it because oh, okay. a lot of her experiences are so relative to Pine Bush. But I will tell you a little story about her because she herself may have been abducted by aliens back in 1971. And she went through this regression hypnosis in order to remember. And much of what she recalled was pretty vague and she couldn't really understand it until she arrived in Pine Bush, New York. When she arrived in Pine Bush in 1980, she met a psychic who revealed information that Ellen had never known, but that her mother was able to confirm for her after the meeting. So basically she meets the psychic and the psychic is like, did something traumatic happen to you as a child? And Ellen recalls this time when she had been very sick as a child for about nine months. She couldn't go outside. Apparently her organs were enlarging and no doctor could figure out what was going on with her. But to Ellen's memory, she thought this happened when she was four years old. But the psychic shakes her head and goes, no, no, no. This happened when you were two. And the psychic kept seeing a spacecraft beside a white house. And she described the house. And Ellen was like, I didn't tell the psychic anything about my house. But it was always described as a white house. And the psychic basically nailed the description of it. Ooh, ooh. And apparently the psychic was seeing that these aliens were trying to heal the two-year-old Ellen. And she even like had the ability to pinpoint a date. And it was April of 1953. So Ellen immediately calls her mom. And her mom confirms Ellen had indeed been two years old when she was sick. And they had taken her to doctors sometimes multiple times a week because she was just getting worse and worse and worse. And truly her family thought she was going to die. It was that bad. But all of a sudden, one day in April of 1953, Ellen woke up perfectly fine. So Ellen believes that aliens saved her life, basically. And the psychic believed that aliens saved Ellen's life. So from a very early age, Ellen was influenced by aliens. 
And she was moved by this experience, especially how it kind of happened and all came together in Pine Bush, that she set out to study UFO encounters and landed in Pine Bush, New York for almost 10 years. She basically collected all these stories. And Pine Bush, New York used to be mostly farms. And there are newspaper articles dating back to the 1950s giving accounts of seeing the classic saucer shape in the sky over what is called Marshmallow Field near Route 52, which is across from the Bethel L Cemetery. And this is just, if you ever go, maybe you'll recognize Mm -hmm. these names Mm -hmm. because the cemetery seems to be a focal point of a lot of the activity. So Ellen tries to track down the sources of these stories to interview them and put together the stories from Pine Bush. And so the following stories I'm about to tell you come from a mix of sources, including Ellen's book, The Internet, Blue Book, and the Hudson River Radio Show. So this one story took place on November 9th, 1965, the day of the Great Blackout. As the story goes, a teacher was driving from Middletown to Pine Bush for a school meeting. As he was driving, this power outage happened, so the teacher had no idea that the power outage had happened. But as he's driving, he sees this strange light in the eastern sky. It was an extremely bright, greenish-blue ball moving in a weird trajectory. It kept moving from one cloud to the next, and he thought perhaps it was a meteor that was just making a weird entry into our atmosphere and was going to fall, but it never fell, and it just kept bouncing around. What? So this teacher finally ends up at the school and finds out that it was canceled because of the power outage, But there were other teachers who similarly were driving there when the power outage happened, and they all recalled seeing a strange light in the sky. So many of the other teachers had seen it. And one of the points that a lot of people made when I was reading about this is like, it couldn't have been a weird electric current thing that people had seen in the sky because there was a power outage. You know, there was no running electricity happening to cause that, which makes me think, did the aliens cause it because they needed the energy? Yeah, that's so strange. Wait, what year is this again? Remind me. 1965. 1965. Actually, a few days before my mother was born, November 9th. She was born the 12th. They were planting her, the baby. (gasps) Oh my gosh. What if she's an alien child? That would be part alien. Yeah. Yeah, would. I'll I'll give her a call and ask her. (laughs) I'll ask her on her birthday. Hey, mom, happy birthday. Are you an alien? Okay. And then in May of 1967, the Kemp family, which was a family of a husband, a wife, and three kids, saw a round object with a a dome on top of it flashing its lights in the sky. It remained in the sky for over an hour and then began to move, so the family quickly jumps in their car and tries to follow it. They went to the police with their report, but by the end of their interview, the police basically told the family that they had just seen the planet Venus, and then when it started to quote-unquote move, that was just a helicopter. Insert eye roll. Butch Hunt is a barber in Pine Bush who had two sightings, one in July of 1968 at Red Mills Bridge at 10 p.m. in the evening. Apparently, Butch was driving with a few other people in the car, and as they were traveling up a road, a classic saucer shape with a perimeter of lights and windows and three spotlights shining down stopped over the car. The saucer shined their three lights down on the car and like stayed there. So Butch and all these people in the car get out to see what's going on. And it was so close that they could see in the windows these figures standing inside the craft looking at them. <gasps> oh my God. What? And I don't know how that sighting ends because I couldn't find the ending anywhere, which makes me think that possibly they had been abducted and all they remember is a the spacecraft then leaving. Right. But then only a few weeks later, Butch has another sighting on Route 52. He said that a silver-slash-brown cigar-shaped craft 
appeared in the sky and he tried to follow it, but it just disappeared. Butch then became obsessed with, you know, all these UFO sightings and he starts collecting newspaper articles of other sightings and his barbershop becomes the local spot for people to gather and share their own encounters. So if you go in, I don't know if his, I think his barbershop still exists, but if you go in, his walls are just like plastered with newspaper articles about UFO encounters. Everyone in the town just like shares their stories. It sounds really cool. On January 4th of 1971, an old army veteran and current policeman, Bobert Komu, had quite the encounter. He apparently got up at 2.30 in the morning to go to the bathroom. And while he was walking to the bathroom, he had to pass a window. But as he's passing said window, he sees a strange light in the sky. So he holds his having to go to the bathroom, stops at the window, and looks out and notices a saucer-looking craft about 150 feet wide with a perimeter of lights and windows. The object started pulsing from green to red, changing colors back and forth, and he said that every time it pulsed red, the craft would drastically change in size. Like it like just it would got get, It bigger. would like expand? It would expand. Oh. So he's mesmerized and he's standing in the window and he basically watches it for 40 minutes, an entire 40 minutes. It does not move. It stays there. It keeps going back and forth in size and color. And he, you know, he's sitting there and he reaches over to his phone next to him, still eyes on the saucer. And he calls his neighbor who lives across the field. And he's like, there's something outside. Get outside and go look at it. So this guy- You go outside and get abducted, friend. I'll Basically, I think he was like, I need to know I'm not crazy, like that you also see this. (laughs) So this guy, the neighbor goes outside, sees it, comes back inside and calls Bobert back and is like, Bobert, I saw something. But if anyone ever asks, I'll swear in the court of law, that I saw nothing. Like, he was so scared of what he saw. Yeah. And then Bobert, of course, you know, he's scared too. And, you know, at this time, a lot of these people are afraid of maybe losing their job if they told anyone about seeing aliens. But Bobert is a police officer, so he feels responsible to tell his superior, which he does. And half of the police station basically believed Bobert because they all had had their own encounters as well. And the other half was like, you're all losing your minds. See, this is the perfect example of sometimes it just takes one person feeling brave enough to share their story. And then suddenly other people start building yeah. their comfort levels of being like, okay, well, I've never told anyone this. Mm-hmm. Or only one person knows this. Because people are afraid of what other people will say and what they'll think. So yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad he shared with the Me rest of too. his police force, his unit. Me too. Me too. Then in July of 1980, and this is when Ellen finally comes to Pine Bush and has decided to collect all these stories and also go chase some aliens as well herself. So Ellen and this guy Harry, who's also a writer, and he's wrote a big article about Pine Bush and the aliens and everything. So they spend the night in Pine Bush chasing UFOs with two local residents. And they go to a field with a slight rise toward the far side and got out of the car and looked up. And almost immediately, like as in like, snap their fingers that quickly they get out of the car they become surrounded by spacecrafts with amber yellow lights in the sign of a plus sign on the front of them and there's tons of them and they kept like pulsing the lights and increasing the intensity to light up the sky and almost got so bright that they couldn't even see the spacecrafts anymore because it was a blinding light they couldn't make it out any other details because of how bright the light was and they start moving Or so then Ellen and the group decide to get back in their car. And as they start driving, the ships start to follow them. 
And they're all kind of getting weirded out. They're like, let's go home. And so they start driving back to one of the local residents' houses, and they're turning left onto a road. And all of a sudden, a ship rises from a nearby field and starts coming directly toward their car, like incoming, almost going to crash into their car. And they're all freaked out. And all of a sudden, this spacecraft, like at the last second, lifts up and nearly skims the top of Ellen's car. Jeez. And almost every time Ellen returned to Pine Bush, she said a fleet of ships would basically greet her. This is like hooligan type activity. Yeah. Like, why are I, they I mean, doing this? Why? <laughs> I well, feel like they're they, harassing her. Unless they really did save her life. And this was her like purpose her whole life to come to Pine Bush. And they're like, she's finally here. Oh, ooh, ooh, that's so weird. I know. Oh, I have full body chills. Yeah, they just like wait for her and then they get excited mm-hmm. and the lights pulse and then maybe they're testing how close they can get to her. Yeah. What her willingness, her comfort level will be with, does she approach them? Does she get on the ship? Is she cowering yeah. and trying to run away? Well, she wrote in the book that, you know, everyone was so worried about her and like worried that she was going to get abducted. And she was kind of like, fine, if I get abducted, I get abducted. Like she kind of wanted it. Sounds like someone I know. Okay, I've changed. Thank you. <laughs> you only changed because we listened to that one <laughs> li- that one listener story audio Terrifying from the camping recorded. trip. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So then there's this guy who doesn't like to share his first name. So he goes by Seaburns. And he has become somewhat of the Pine Bush UFO archivist and has spent many years of his life sky watching and chasing after UFOs. He's also kind of dedicated his life to gathering all of the archives and like history surrounding ufos in pine bush and putting them in one place which is pretty cool i commend him on that he has seen lights in the sky he has seen the clouds light up and change colors like truly change colors and he's heard what is referred to in pine bush as the train rumble beneath the ground and this is such a weird sensation so basically in pine bush Around the times of seeing spacecrafts, people will be standing and start to feel the ground beneath them rumble and as if a train is going by. And they will feel like, you know, like when you're in New York and like a subway train is going underneath, you feel it and you hear it going in the direction it's going. People have that experience in Pine Bush. There are no underground railroads. There is nothing underground. Apparently, there are old mine tunnels, but like they've got people have looked through them. There's nothing to indicate a train or evidence of people really going down there. What if the UFOs aren't coming from space? What if they're coming from underground? Well, there have been a lot of theories of is there a alien underground network in Pine Bush? And that would make sense as to why such a small town has such a concentrated number of sightings. Yeah, it's so interesting. But people feel this all the time. And there's nothing else to correlate with what could cause it. Like there's just there is no explanation other than it's something supernatural. Is it fucked up of me that I really want to go? No, I'm super down. This I mean, all of the encounters sound pretty fine. Right. Like who's to say what actually happens when you when you get abducted, what you remember versus what yeah. was placed as something mm-hmm. to remember? Because I think about that sometimes, like, is it a false memory? Was that a memory that was placed? So someone thinks something happened during the abduction, but maybe it was like actually way worse what truly happened. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm willing. I, I just want to go. I just want to see. I just want to <laughs> see what happens. Just check it out. Yes. 
So this is just what's wild. So basically from the time that Ellen was in Pine Bush from the early 1980s to 1987, that time has the highest recorded encounters in Pine Bush history, which makes me wonder, does it have to do with Ellen or is just Pine Bush just really a, a very highly concentrated place for UFO encounters? Right. Like where does she live now and what was the, how has I the number know. of sightings in her area changed? That's interesting. But so in this time period, it's like seven years maybe, there are over 2,000 reports of seeing spacecrafts or alien figures documented. 2,000. And a lot of them actually are accompanied by photographic evidence. So if you Google image Pine Bush, New York alien evidence, your internet page will be flooded with photos. It will also be flooded with like photos of a festival because Pine Bush has a great festival. Yes, I'm there now. (laughs) But in Ellen's book, she actually has like 12 to 15 pages filled with photographic evidence as well. Wow. This is so literally hundreds of Pine Bush residents, including local policemen and officials, have reported strange and inexplicable occurrences. And many of them are similar to the stories I've just shared, but there are some that are more inexplicable, like stories of tall, skinny-bodied beings standing in the fields of pine bush and running from you, but also kind of chasing you through the fields. <laughs> which is interesting because people have theorized that the aliens actually like the cat and mouse of it all. Like they're playing into it, which is so weird and creepy it it just reminds me of playing chase with my dog when he was alive (laughs) it would scare the shit out of me when he would start coming towards me and if i turned on him he would run away yeah mysterious sea burns tells a story of being with a friend on a sky watch adventure which is basically just like staying out late at night watching the sky and then chasing after anything that they see and they're following a saucer that appeared in the night sky, and he and his friend get out of the car to get a closer look. And they see this spacecraft changing colors, it's pulsing and spinning, and all of a sudden it starts creating this white mist on the ground, which apparently is something that's very common with UFO encounters. Like there's this like Stephen King the mist that UFOs create. And Seaburn said something moved on the saucer, and all of a sudden he turns and look, and his friend's kind of like shit like his body like completely goes weak his eyes roll back into the back of his head and he turns into this like frenzy like something impacted him like something that the saucer did or that the aliens were doing were like totally impacting his friend in a weird like mental takeover thing and it only lasted a few seconds and the friend snapped out of it and he had like no memory of the last like 30 seconds he's like what the heck just happened oh what the f- this is so weird i know because we always think about aliens as as wiping your memory but the actual like insertion of thoughts or messages basically possession well that's what a lot of people in pine bush have said is that they kind of feel like there's like this thing that happens where if you encounter a saucer people start to feel like a presence in their mind like there's like this mental energy or like shock wave that's going through your head as if someone's in there reading your thoughts wow So then there are stories of animals reacting really weird on nights before aliens make their appearance. There was one landowner who recalled her cats who like usually come in every single night when they're going to go to bed. They come to sleep in the house. But this one night they were acting super strange and refused to come in and like were adamant and staying in the field. And that night she woke up to a strange light coming through her window over her field and she looks out and she sees what looks like a saucer over her field. And then it disappears and almost immediately after it disappears, her cats come back to the house. Are her cats the aliens? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Or they're friends with the aliens. I don't know. Okay, but I could basically 
share encounters for hours, but we just don't have the time. So many of them are pretty similar, but I do recommend if you want to learn more or read more, Ellen Crystal's book, Silent Invasion, was published in 1991, and it is kind of incredible. And once it was published, all of these sky watchers, paranormal and UFO enthusiasts start to visit Pine Bush seeking their own encounters. And in the years since its publication, it appears that the encounters have decreased, Although, considering encounters relative to other places in the world, there are still a plenty at Pine Bush, New York. But people have theorized that with the growth of the town and the loss of some of the fields there in that area, the aliens have come less and less because they prefer the open space. In 1993, the United Friends Observer Society was established by local residents in Pine Bush, and it began as a research group, but then morphed more into a support group as more and more people came forward with the sightings and reports of being abducted. There are notes from the society that said groups of people have experienced the same thing at the same time. For instance, one occurrence was when several residents all woke up with wet, muddy feet. Oh! <laughs> what? Yeah. So, although there's no memory of what happened, it is very believable that these people all were abducted that night. Oh my god. Or even even if they weren't, they just got put into some sort of weird trance where they trance. all I'm almost like picturing everybody kind of scattered across the town just standing outside staring up at this thing. Maybe they received this weird message. Maybe they're going to hear some weird message again and be triggered. It's like hypnosis Maybe. sort of. I don't know. But the amount of experiences is truly wild. There are so many theories. Some are like maybe the government's involved or there's an underground alien community in Pine Bush. But either way, there are so many experiences that just cannot be ignored It's or dismissed. It's it's real. Ellen, in her research, determined – she has like a list of like 12 or to 15 things that she determined based on all of her research. But there are some that are specific to Pine Bush. So she says – that she believes the aliens are watching specific people in Pine Bush and that the government is also watching those same specific people. Why? I don't know. That's so weird. I I don't know. I'm not sure how I feel about the government involvement. I feel – I don't think the government is as powerful when it comes to aliens as some people say. Are they they involved? I don't think that they're an active and strategic partner here. I think maybe, if anything, they're just informed. They're just told what's happening. Yeah. I don't know. I think they might have knowledge. But is knowledge the same thing as being an active participant in something? Like maybe they're they're like the administrative piece. They're playing out some of the, the needed tasks that the aliens have. Mm. But I just don't think – the fact that we don't have the technology that aliens supposedly have, I just can't imagine that – I don't know. Am I being cynical that I don't think we have that much to give? <laughs> No, you're not being cynical, but I do feel like I do feel like there's a lot the government knows that we don't know. Well, yeah, that's definitely true. Yeah. I mean, that's proven time and time again when different articles, documents get released years after the fact. Yeah, like, exactly. Oh, interesting. So they probably do have technologies that haven't been released or known to the public right. yet. Right, because if they're releasing what they're releasing and they feel comfortable releasing that, it's like, okay, well, yeah. what, what else what do you have going else? on that yeah. this is no longer yeah. secret? Yep. So the other two things that Ellen figured out is that the underground system seems to be connected to the old mining tunnels in Pine Bush, like I said. And then also, weirdly, aliens have also apparently released wildlife that is not indigenous to the Pine Bush area in the wilderness there, which is really interesting because it's like, why? Is it just like a weird 
maybe they the aliens have like children on board you know and it's kind of the classic the kid brings home the bug or the rock that they weren't oh, supposed they to just, grab like, throw them down <laughs> yeah and they're like oh my god we can't keep this why did you do this why or did you take they, that when we were visiting utah or are they necessary for something that needs to happen do you know which animals they are did did it say anywhere there was something about a lemur i think but i don't know i didn't oh, read it all a yeah, I don't know. Interesting. But so to wrap it up, the town of Pine Bush, New York, has really embraced their reputation and many re- restaurants like Cup and Saucer have embraced the theme. Every year, Pine Bush hosts a UFO fair. This past year, it was hosted on Labor Day weekend, and it's an entire weekend of events. There are parades, speakers, live music, game shows, and a whole lot of alien costumes. So if you want to see aliens, you have a very, very high chance while visiting Pine Bush, New York, whether it's for the festival or not. But I would recommend going with a buddy just in case you do get abducted because power (laughs) in numbers and also shared experiences. Yeah, why not have trauma shared with one of your closest friends? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And if you want to read more encounters or stories about the history of Pine Bush, I do highly recommend The Silent Invasion by Ellen Crystal. Or you can look up, there's probably so many books about Pine Bush. The Silent Invasion has 12 entire pages dedicated to eyewitness statements. And also, if you do go to Pine Bush, there are plenty of paranormal experiences as well. There's been poltergeist activity, eyes shining in the woods. But then at the same time, some residents have theorized that none of those are actually ghostly related and they are all alien related. Oh, my goodness. I don't. I want to go. I want to <laughs> go. I almost – I mean, I do want to go for the festival because the festival sounds fun. But I would almost rather go on – or in addition to going for the festival, go on and off time because I feel like if you're kind of like off season, there are fewer people and maybe there's more activity. Yeah, we should go on off time. Yeah. But what if there's like a year where there's like a mass abduction at the festival and you have to be at the festival in order to be part of the abduction? Well, why don't we just go to the festival every year? That will be our okay our foolproof method. And we'll just like stay a few days on either side so that we have it to ourselves. Right. Exactly. Perfect. Gearing up. This is so interesting. This is wild because it, it feels less like aliens just coming to observe, like to just check in randomly. And that they're purposefully there for a reason. Yeah. And their comfort level is so high that they're, there's mm-hmm. no like, oh, we need to hide sort of thing. The fact that they half chase people in fields. Yeah. And they've been there since like the 1920s. This is reminding me of the movie Signs. Yeah. But the fact that they've been there since the 1920s, they've been there for such a long time. And I think they've had periods of like, you know, being there more visibly But Mm. I feel like they're always there. There's also some study that I didn't read too much into, but there's something about energy and power. And I think like the year of 2020 was supposed to be a massive year with alien encounters. I I mean, it it was. There was so much in the news last year with aliens. Yeah. It's possible. Wow. I'm just convinced that it's just going to – it's going to keep going on this path of of more and more activity, more and more encounters, more and more sightings until eventually I, – I fully believe that in our lifetime, Sabrina, something big is going to happen, that we're going to become aware of something. I believe it too. It's – yeah. It's – we're gearing up It's the up reckoning. It. The reckoning. It's coming. What do you have? I don't – I didn't recognize yours at all. It's very interesting. Our listener, Rachel, recommended it. She emailed us, I think, a couple years ago. And somehow Mm. in my memory, I I remembered this. 
Wow. But she said you should look into the green children of Woolpit. So that is what we're going to talk about. Okay. It sounds so ominous. It feels that way. But to the people of 12th century Woolpit, England, it was an otherwise ordinary day. The weather was nice. It was the middle of summer. The day felt long ahead of them. And people were just going about their business, doing whatever they were doing in 12th century Woolpit. But for a group of harvesters working in a field... This otherwise mundane day was about to take a very drastic turn. So Woolpit, to give you a visual of the town, mm-hmm. it is in Suffolk County. It's about two hours from London, where London is now. And the town got its name from being a town where they had dug these big pits in the ground, huge, massive pits, to trap dangerous wolves. Oh. So wolves that were in the area would fall down and not be able to to crawl themselves back out of this pit, saving the the people of the town. Yes. So it was called Wool Pit because of these wolf pits. Pretty literal. Yep. Pretty literal. So the villagers in Wool Pit, they're in the fields, they're harvesting crops, and they notice some movement from one of these pits. But it was not a wolf. There seemed to be people over there, small people, children. And so they began to approach as these two children seemingly made their way out of the pit, stumbling and clutching onto each other. And these kids, they they looked around frantically around the field and at the villagers and just like really seemed to be struggling and, ha- and having a hard time. And oh. obviously they just, well, what the villagers thought, they had fallen down into this pit. So these people are walking over from the field. And they're like, what are these kids doing? Why are they alone? They're so young. Where are their parents? And why do they have this weird kind of tint to their to their skin. Oh my gosh. This green tint. So once the wool pit residents got close enough to the children, their confusion only multiplied because these children were green. They didn't just look like they had a tint. They were literally green, like saturated <gasps> green, Crayola color green. Like alphabet. Yes, exactly. Green. Exactly. And it was a young boy and a young girl. And Later, they found out that these kids were siblings. But at the time, all they knew was that there was this girl and this younger boy, and they were bright green. And their clothes were dyed an odd color, and they were materials that were weird to the people of Woolpit, unidentifiable. And the kids were really confused, and they they begin to speak and tell the villagers, presumably tell the villagers what was happening to them and, and ask questions. But the only problem being that these two children spoke an unknown language, A language that nobody had ever heard before. (gasps) Clothes that no one had ever seen before and a skin color that was thought to be impossible. So who were these kids? So not knowing what to do with them, somebody eventually took them to Sir Richard DeCalne's house, which was six miles away from the field where they were found. And Sir Richard basically acted as their their guardian, their adult for for the time that that they were there in Woolpit. So he took them in, obviously had had a lot of other people coming in and out of the house, servants, people trying to figure out who the heck these kids were. People brought them food, but the kids just stared at the food oddly and they did not eat. And they didn't eat for days, like literally were starving themselves for days until the little girl spotted a bean plant. Someone had been carrying a bean stalk at some point and she pointed and she starts speaking in this foreign language that nobody can understand. Wow. And she looks eager to get her hands on this plant. And then her brother's really excited and they have this shared excitement about this beanstalk. 
So then the beanstalks are presented to the two kids. They're given to the kids and the kids rip open these stalks and they suddenly begin to cry. They're just so overwhelmed. They look so <gasps> defeated. In- they're oh, just no. looking at the inside of the beanstalks and someone else is in the room and is is watching this and thinks, okay, I think they know that they can eat beanstalks, but don't understand where the food actually is. So they went over to these hungry, confused, and crying kids. And this person gently opened up the pod and displayed the edible beans inside. And then the kids grabbed them and ate them. Oh. And for months, this is all they would eat. They would only eat the beans. And That's eventually, probably why they were green. I, I know. <laughs> eventually they did start to eat other foods and when they did their green skin began to lose its saturation and eventually their skin turned to the human color that the people of Woolpit were used to and the kids also picked up some english so seeing an improvement it was decided that these kids should stay with sir richard should stay in Woolpit. And should be baptized and inducted officially into their society. However, the young child, the boy, had not been faring so well. So he had basically from the get-go always appeared to be in in worse health than his sister. He just appeared sick. And Mm. even though he started to regain or, or gain a color that people thought he should have and start to eat other food, his health just didn't get as good as it should be. His sister was was making strides with her health and her induction into this new group of people, but he was really, really struggling. And shortly after the baptism, he actually passed away and <gasps> subsequently left his sister alone in this strange land. So sad. So needing to acclimate even more quickly, this girl, she soon becomes like every other girl. She no longer has green skin. She behaves like the other children. She's dressed by the adults like the other children. And she's now able to communicate with others in English. She picked up on the language. She learned the language. And she eventually began to tell the people about who she was and how she and her brother got to Woolpit. So, oh my gosh, her story throughout her life, she grew into adulthood. She supposedly had kids like she's she lived her life on earth throughout her whole life. Her story remained consistent. She never changed her story about what happened and how she got to Woolpit. She said the where she came from, everything was green. The plants, the animals, the people, everything was green. And everything was surrounded by this twilight. There was like this perpetual twilight. There was no sun, no rising or setting of a sun. It was different than Woolpit because it just was constant twilight. And their home was called – I know, very odd. The home where she was from, the place that she was from, was called St. Martin's Land. And it also had churches. So that was a similarity that she recognized. Mm. And there was this very large river that ran through the land that divided the people of St. Martin's Land with another land whose name she did not know. She did not know where St. Martin's Land was or how to get back there. But she said what happened and how she got there from St. Martin's Land to Woolpit was that her dad had owned many cattle. And these cattle had walked into this cavern. And her and her brother, they followed the cattle in. And that's when they began to hear these bells. It almost sounded like church bells. But there were these mm. bells ringing inside of this, this cave. And so blindly, these two kids, they follow the sound of the bells. They're no longer worrying about the cattle, the cattle or whatever. They've left them in the dust. And they're weaving through these tunnels, and then they realize that they're lost. But after a long time of trying to retrace their steps, they are eventually able to find their way back to the mouth of the cavern, or so they think. But the cattle are no longer there. But they're like, like, okay. Yes, yes. 
It's yes. just like it. Oh my gosh. And so they're like, okay, well, maybe the cattle just wander back into the field, whatever. They leave the cave and she and her brother, they step out of the cave and suddenly they are met with warm air and bright, bright light. And remember, they're used to only twilight, this perpetual twilight. Whoa. So they're confused and together they're like, oh my gosh, they're in shock. They just lay down and they're, they're like, what do we do? We're overwhelmed trying to contemplate what is happening to us. What should we do? How do we get back to our dad? What is happening? Where are we? Yeah. So eventually these kids, they they begin to hear what sounded like other people approaching them. And so they were terrified. They jump up to their feet with the intention to, to run back to the cave and hide from these people. But when they turn back around, the cave is no longer there. The entrance that they just exited is no longer there. Oh, my gosh. And Ooh. then they see these people from the fields, which are the harvesters that from the beginning of the story, walking towards them and approaching them. So they're scared. And now they have these people that look entirely different from them and sound different from them, approaching them, seemingly trying to kidnap them. So they're trying to crawl out of this pit, desperate, which is what the, the villagers had seen, these confused kids trying to crawl together out of this pit. And then they were taken. Her and her brother were taken by these people. And she said that the food that they were initially given, the reason that they didn't eat it was because they didn't know it was edible. They didn't recognize it to be food. So they were crying. They were desperate. They just thought that they were like essentially being starved and kept there. Wow. And it wasn't until she saw the bean plant, which you know, right. has more of a green color, that they started to recognize that, that things were edible and that they could eat this food. So that's kind of the origin story of what happened to her and her brother and how they came to be at Woolpit. The girl, she did eventually grow up. She went by the name of Agnes. And supposedly she married and she had a child. And rumor has it, there are a few descendants of hers that still live in the area. And those descendants are not green. Wow. Not the color green. But it's really peculiar what happened to these two kids yeah. and who they are. And so, of course, there are some theories as to what happened because we can't go ask Agnes. She died many, many centuries ago. It's just one of those things that, like, you wish medical technology and science had been up to date as it is now because there's probably so many things that they could have done, like, test-wise on them to figure out Right. Yeah, and so there are a lot of theories around, like, medical ailments, too. But it's one of those things where, like, with every theory that presents itself, there are, like, five other facts that discredit it. Negate it, yeah. Yeah, so it's tough. But one of the theories is that merchants were traveling through a trade route nearby, which was true. There was a trade route nearby that was frequented. But one of the theories is that there were these merchants, they were traveling through, and they lost their kids. And it would Mm -hmm. make sense if there was a language barrier, you know, this language that people hadn't heard. But it doesn't make sense for the green coloring and for the food confusion. Another theory is that the kids were Flemings, The Flemish were a particular group of Dutch people who spoke a dialect called Flemish. And they were actually known to be in a nearby area and have a settlement in a nearby area. So that would make sense. And perhaps these kids, they became lost at some point. Perhaps they were taken from their parents. Their Mm. green color may have been due to poor nutrition. It's also thought that possibly they were orphaned and that their parents had been killed during a battle nearby in Fornham St. Martin. Fornham St. Martin. St. Martin's land. And then the kids maybe found their way to an underground mine passage and wandered until they eventually kind of were spit out of the mine in Woolpit. So that would make sense, except for their green skin. Yeah. But of course, of course, like with these oral tales, 
someone who maybe has a green hue or like a, a peculiar coloring to them, I feel like time after time, as the story is told again, it can be exaggerated. So maybe they just yeah. did have this almost like sickish color to them. Tint. And people yeah. were, yeah. And people were like, oh my gosh, it's a vibrant green. And they're retelling. So right. that to me is the most plausible theory other than aliens. Another theory is that these children were kids of immigrant workers who'd worked in textiles and the dye from textiles had gotten on them. And that's what caused them to appear so green. But mm. another thing that would negate that is that at the time, there were very few green dyes available and none were quite stable or potent enough for that sort of vibrancy, especially on the skin. Interesting. So people are now trying to theories beyond how these kids got there or, or about their nutrition and onto actual medical diagnoses of their green skin. So there's various ailments that are associated with the green coloring. One is arsenic poisoning or chlorosis, which is now known as hypochromic anemia. But none of these mm. conditions really actually turn the skin green. It's more yellow or blue, but not green. Interesting. So it's close, but not quite there. Mm-hmm. Some thought that the description of St. Martinland also may have been Tretford Forest, which was nearby, because it kind of gave off at night sort of this glowing appearance, which could have looked like this eternal twilight to the kids. Interesting. And there is also a nearby mine passage that would spit out into Woolpit. So this could have been the cavern that they spoke about that they entered from this forest and ended up in Woolpit. The the whole like speaking a different language is something that really gets me. Like if they lived just next door in a neighboring town, they would speak a language that theoretically everyone would know well, or recognize. Yes. No. And that's, a, that's one of the arguments. So maybe the people in the field who initially saw these children weren't familiar with Flemish. But these kids were were sent to stay with someone of like noble stature, someone who who was well versed and absolutely could have recognized the Flemish language. So that doesn't make sense for the language barrier because it was it was very close by. There were a lot of these people and it would have been recognized. Like it, it would basically be like saying, Sabrina, you living in California don't recognize Spanish when it's yeah. being spoken. Like you would you would be familiar and especially their caretaker would be familiar. So that doesn't really make sense. So then, of course, hmm. the last theory is that they are aliens and perhaps somehow they were transported from their alien planet falling into an orbit and witnessing this eternal twilight until landing here and being quite confused and living their life out on Earth. Another theory is that there's an underground land, so deep within the Earth's crust. Mm -hmm. Oh, and also, by the way, when when I was writing out, like, and then they lived in the Earth, the computer was autocorrecting me, saying, like, do you mean on the Earth? And I'm like, no, in the Earth. In. Why are you trying to correct me? What are you trying to hide, computer? Have you not... Picked up on my verbiage and over the years of writing this podcast. Clearly, I mean in the earth. <laughs> yeah, it's a very like journey of, to the center of the earth, like secret societies in the earth, yeah. center of the earth theory. But yeah, people are like, well, they could have easily been confused and crawled out of the earth's crust, like somehow got lost in this tunnel. And that would make sense for this continual light source that never really rises or sets mm. because it's always the same within the center of the earth. 
You know, I was doubting the alien theory until you were bringing up the twilight of it all. Yeah, I know that's that's what's confusing because, again, it's one of those oral stories that was passed down for centuries. And mm-hmm. so we can't really know what was added or what was embellished over time. Right. So and it, also, I mean, it is hard because it's like there are so many elements of it that point to a, a clear mystery that they come, they came from somewhere else. But then it is also interesting because it's like this girl – took many years to be able to speak fully the language that they that everyone else spoke Mm -hmm. so it's possible that over those years people like kind of put in her head a story of what happened to her which then she retold in a way because it is very specific the story she tells right but then i am like i'm very into the idea that maybe they traveled from a different dimension yeah there's right. some, and, and food would be strange. confusing if you see all yeah. of this food in front of you that's not the color green when green is your safety. Suddenly yeah. there's all these weird colors and like you're – I mean we're animals. Like when we see something that's off, there's something in us that's like Fear. that could be poisoned. That is unsafe. Yeah. Like don't trust that. And so of course there's going to be this this reaction to it. But no, Sabrina, you're exactly right. And it reminded me of, of the last full episode we did on the Swedish witch trials because – the mm. accounts of the children, the green children of Woolpit, they rely heavily on eyewitness testimony and mostly the testimony of these of these kids who were confused, likely very traumatized from what happened yeah. to them. So we don't really know yeah. who these kids were or the authenticity of their origin story. We just know that they existed and that they're now referred to as the green children of Woolpit. Wow. I also love the idea that there are other dimensions that just only exist in one color. Like there's the green dimension. Which color would you live in if you could choose? Hmm. Oh, man, that's so hard. I think I would choose green. I love green. I have a lot of green around me. Yeah. I like – I prefer olive over like a green green. But but that's that's the thing. It's not one color. There could be different hues of green. It's not one flat. Isn't green calming? Isn't that why like some hospital waiting rooms are green? Oh, probably. I find it very soothing. It's just natural. Just like, I mean, I guess all colors can be found somewhere in nature. Although there are a lot of colors that we can't even see. True. Hmm. Yeah. You don't don't know? It's so hard. I want to say like a cream, (laughs) like beige. Bland. But it's aesthetically pleasing. It is. You're describing my apartment. It's literally all beige and green. (laughs) Mine is like gray and whites and browns yeah it's just yeah more more woodsy neutral neutral Neutral. yes yeah Yeah. i think i it'd be hard to have a preference especially assuming that you're born in that space and you know nothing different you don't know anything else the like different colors of orange or pink or whatever around you i know okay should I turn the light on? I, I mean, we're speaking yeah, about how it's getting dark early. I feel darkness. yeah. Also, it's Nick scary. came in here. Nick came in here while we were recording and opened his closet, and his closet has a mirror. So now the mirror <gasps> is like staring at me. I need to close that too. Yeah, please hold. The room's so dark, and then the window's glowing behind you. It's very creepy. Okay, so I have a listener story from our listener Kara, and it's called Alien Encounter and Great Aunt Visitation. So it's got. Aliens and paranormal. Awesome. And a cat meowing. Come here, Leia. <laughs> Come here. Leia, you can listen. She's really chirpy. Okay. Hey, ladies. I have been with you guys from the beginning, but I took a little hiatus and just recently started binging again. I just listened to the episode for Corinne's birthday talking about alien encounters and how enough people haven't been sending them in. Well, do I have a wild story for you? Actually, I have two stories, an alien encounter and a visitation from a great aunt that I only ever met twice in my life. 
So, the alien encounter. When I was around seven, I think an alien was trying to abduct me. Whether or not it was successful, I have no idea. To give a visual, my bed used to be pushed up against the corner of a wall so that if I rolled to my right, I would hit a wall. And if I rolled to my left, I'd fall to the ground. I was on the second story. And centered in the middle of my bed was a window with a short paneled curtain that looked out onto my backyard. My bed's headboard had metal bars spaced out every few inches so that there was open space in between each bar, which is important to the story. I remember I was having a bad dream, and I had one of those panic wake-ups where your eyes just shoot open, and I stared at the ceiling for a second, but instantly felt like I was not alone in my room. My eyes slowly moved from the ceiling to the foot of my bed, and staring back at me was an unnaturally tall, weird-shaped figure. If you've ever seen the movie Signs, it looked exactly like that scene where you see the figure in the reflection of the TV. She included the visual for us. I love a good visual aid. It was really dark in my room, but the figure was much darker. I could tell that it was three-dimensional, which is what draws me to it being an alien and not a shadow figure. When the figure noticed that I was awake, it immediately grabbed my ankles and desperately tried to drag me to the end of the bed. Everything happened so fast, but my immediate instinct was to grab the bars of my headboard and try to hold on for dear life. My bed was a queen-size bed, but I was seven, so I definitely had room to be dragged down. I tried kicking my legs as hard as I could, but the grasp that thing had on me was strong. It was not letting go. I tried to scream, but I couldn't make a sound. I remember I kept opening my mouth and trying to push air out and nothing would happen. I noticed that my window to the right was open and I looked outside and not a single thing was moving. No trees, no crickets, nothing. But my curtain on my window was flapping so hard as if a fan was on the other side of the window blowing inside. I don't actually know what happened next. I don't know if I blacked out or if my brain was blocking out what really happened. But I woke up the next morning and my window was shut, the sun was shining, and the birds were chirping, as if it were a normal last day. I sat up in bed trying to collect my thoughts and decipher if I had just had a really bad dream. But as I got out of bed, I almost instantly collapsed. My legs felt wobbly and sore. I got up, tried to walk it off, and couldn't help but feel like something just wasn't right. I pulled up my pajama pants and noticed that my ankles were covered in big purple bruises. I still, to this day, don't know what that thing was and I have never told my parents and I refuse to sleep next to a window. The next story is visitation. My dad had an aunt, we'll call her Aunt Bibbs, who practically raised him. When my dad was young, he was the only one of her four nephews that would ever visit, so they became really close. He didn't have a great relationship with his own mother, so this was practically his second mom. When I was 14, I went with him for the first time to visit Aunt Bibbs out on her farm. She had the coolest little farmhouse with all kinds of awesome antiques. Antiques are my thing, so we bonded over those the whole time I was there. The second and last time I visited her was when she was on her deathbed. I was 18 at this point, and I don't think she remembered me because her memory was going and she was having a hard time focusing on things. On that second visit, my dad had briefly left the room to grab Aunt Bibbs some water, and I was just left there, awkwardly twiddling my thumbs. Aunt Bibbs looked at me, pointed to the box fan, and swiped her hand down. I didn't really know what she was trying to communicate to me, but she did it again, and I noticed that the fan on her nightstand was blowing pretty hard against her face. I got up, turned off the fan, and she smiled and rested her eyes. A couple of days went by and I was back at school in my apartment. I have a pretty consistent nightly routine, especially since I lived alone. I lock the front door, turn out the lights, close my closet and bathroom door, and make sure my ceiling fan in my room is on full speed because I sleep hot. I completed my nightly routine as usual and went to bed. 
and I woke up in the middle of the night staring at the ceiling. I didn't wake up in a panic and I didn't wake up scared. My eyes just opened and I was staring straight up. I instantly noticed that my ceiling fan was off and thought that was probably my body naturally waking up because I can never sleep without a fan. I stayed there for a minute until my eyes wandered toward the end of my room and my closet door was opened. I blinked a couple of times to adjust my eyes to the dark and I noticed a figure standing in the closet doorway. I could tell it was a woman, and I could tell she was frail just by the way she was standing. She was wearing a purple nightgown, and her hands were clasped in front of her. She started to shuffle over to the side of my bed, and I immediately recognized her. Aunt Bibbs was in my room. Aunt Bibbs was in my room? Aunt Bibbs lives two hours away. Why is Aunt Bibbs in my room? These thoughts went through my mind, but I still wasn't scared or panic. I just didn't understand why Aunt Bibbs was here. She sat on the side of my bed, grabbed my hand, patted it, and said, it'll be okay. My eyes started to get heavy, and I fell back asleep. I woke up the next morning again, staring at my ceiling. My fan was back on. I thought that maybe a storm must have come through, probably knocked out the power for a bit, and that's why the fan was shut off when I woke up at night. I got up and noticed my closet door was closed and walked to the kitchen. I checked the time on the microwave to see, in fact, if the power was knocked out and if I needed to reset the clock. But the clock read 9.30 a.m. The power definitely did not go out. I received a call from my dad's sister that afternoon to let me know that Aunt Bibbs had passed away. She was already working on all the funeral arrangements and wanted to make sure I would be able to attend the funeral services. I told her that I would definitely be there and express my condolences. My aunt is a believer of all things supernatural, so I decided to go ahead and tell her about the dream I had the night before. When I was finished, my aunt got really quiet, paused for a moment, and asked me if I remembered what Aunt Bibbs was wearing. I told her she had a beautiful purple nightgown with flowers on the collar. My aunt burst into tears. She explained to me that she had just left the store where she bought Aunt Bibbs' outfit to wear in the casket. A purple nightgown with daisies across the collar. Oh my god! I couldn't believe it. She also explained to me that my fan was probably turned off because Aunt Bibbs hated the fan on her. I was trying to comprehend everything that she was telling me, but couldn't grasp why Aunt Bibbs came to me of all people or why she felt the need to tell me it would be okay. Even to this day, I think I still try to rationalize everything that happened as a dream. But I also know it was not a dream. I know that Aunt Bibbs meant to visit me, even if I don't necessarily know why. Thanks for taking the time to read my stories. Love all that you do. I'll see you on the other side, Kara. Okay, when Kara said that she woke up and the fan was off, my very first thought was that Aunt Bibbs was trying to return the favor. It was just trying to like take care of mm-hmm. her. Be like, uh-oh, your fan's on. You're going to get cold. Yep. That's so sweet. I love the Aunt Bibbs that she appeared in the nightgown that she was – I know. That How was picked amazing. out for her. She loved it. She was like, I approve. Into it. Why don't I wear it now? Yeah. Wow. Jeez. Okay. That's an amazing story. But the alien abduction or whatever that was is terrifying. First of all, to wake up – and she's seven years old at the time mm-hmm. – and see this like strange creature at the edge of the bed – and then it recognized that it's that you are seeing it and then grab your ankles and try to pull you away somewhere. She for sure, I'm sorry to say it, but she for sure was abducted. The fact that she doesn't remember what happened. Right. Oh, okay. Wait, I have, a, I have a weird connection now between her possible abduction and her visitation <gasps> from Aunt Bibbs. Oh. Okay. So when she was potentially abducted, most definitely abducted, she was saying that nothing was blowing, like the, no trees, no crickets. There was like absolutely nothing moving outside. But her curtain window was flapping hard and there was like wind blowing through her her room. Uh So what if Aunt (gasps) Bibbs also had something similar and so she had this like visceral reaction to wind and fans because she was brought back to this weird memory of once being abducted. Maybe it's a familial thing. 
Interesting. And now um, Bibbs is going to protect her from the aliens at night. I hope so. But yeah, the fact that she woke up and her her legs were really wobbly and she had all those I know, poor thing. purple bruises on her. Ugh. That's so scary. And she saw it. Like she saw the thing. So sad and scary. And like – That's so scary. And to be – I mean for that experience to happen and then for her to not be able to tell anyone because she's so scared by it. And to have to live with it by herself. This, right. So scary. This feels like one of those things that wasn't planned, that wasn't a project from actual aliens. It feels like mm. one alien basically committing a crime, like going rogue and just seeing what they can do solo. Or maybe they were just like on a, you know, scout mission, but because she woke up, he panicked and tried to like take her. Yeah. And yeah. Like, well, maybe. what do we do with, what do we do? And then they were like, well, we put her back. Right. Oh, I hope I he mean, got punished for his bad behavior. Like that that was an abduction if we've ever heard one. Yes. Horrifying. Yikes. Well, Kara, thanks for sharing that with us. Okay. I'm saying uh, that I cheated, even though I realize saying I cheated doesn't really make sense because we make <laughs> our own rules. This is our own podcast. But I picked two stories to read because I felt like they complemented each other really oh. well. Honestly, that's not cheating. If anything, that's like a bonus. This is this is like the end of a quiz where you get a bonus question and right. you can get extra points. I did my homework well this week. Yeah. Okay. The first one is from Delaney. Greetings, beauties. Longtime listener. So I'm excited slash terrified that I have a reason to write in. A little background about myself first. I'm an 80s baby and I've always been a bit of a weirdo. Loved watching Tales from the Crypt. I read every R.L. Stein Fear Street book I could get my prepubescent claws on and lived for Unsolved Mysteries as a youngster. One episode of Unsolved Mysteries scarred me for life and has set the stage for my biggest fear. I'm not sure if you will be familiar with it, but a few men were canoeing up north somewhere and made contact with something using a flashlight. Anyways, to keep this quick, they were abducted by aliens, and I am now a 37-year-old woman who forbids her children and husband from pointing laser beams and flashlights in the air at night when we are camping or ever, really. But they disobey because they like to torture me. So hopefully oh. I've painted a clear picture that I'm terrified and I don't really like discussing aliens. Well, this past Friday night, I arrived home from a birthday party, a small, close group of friends, don't worry, with my children. My son hopped out of the car and ran into the house, and my daughter had fallen asleep. It was shortly after dusk and completely dark. I carried my daughter to the front door and looked up to admire the moon. There was a bright orange star that I assumed was Saturn or something normal. Only it was not normal. It began to grow in size keeping its orb-like shape and moved directly up in the direction until it seemed to fade into the clouds. I quickly went in and tried to rationalize it. Arcturus could be seen all of October and is literally a flashing orange star, so maybe it was extra brilliant on Friday? I felt okay about this until Sunday when I decided to Google bright orange light in the sky, and I saw that there were many UFO accounts with videos that looked exactly like what I saw on Friday. And that Arcturus oh. is located at the end of the Big Dipper, not where I saw it on Friday. Please debunk what I witnessed with a logical explanation before I start constructing tinfoil hats. Your podcast <laughs> pal, Delaney. Oh, my gosh. This actually reminds me of the the very first thing you said when you were talking about what is it, pine. What's it, What was yours pine called? Pine bush. Pine bush. Because wasn't there the big glowing orange ball? Yeah, there were a bunch of different things. They, like, changed colors. Yeah. So there's yeah. something, obviously, that almost tries to cloak itself, I think, as, like, the sun or the moon. Interesting. But obviously doesn't move appropriately for that for that to be a thing. 
I mean, I'm glad that she looked it up, though, because it's like, well, maybe it's bad for for Delaney, but (laughs) I'm glad for our sake because Delaney for sure saw UFO and that was confirmed by the fact that multiple people also saw it. Right. And Delaney's over here asking us to debunk this, but instead I've picked a encounters story from Kate that seems to reaffirm what she saw. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Hey, ghouls, I found your podcast back in October, and I've been hooked ever since. Thank you so much for your podcast that makes my spooky heart so happy. Here's a story about a time that I can't explain what happened, but I think it had to do with aliens. When I was about seven years old, my parents had just divorced, and my mom and sister and I had moved to Caribou, Maine. It was basically after that move where life just seemed exceptionally dark. My sister was visiting family, and my mom and I decided to take a drive to visit her friend. If you don't know about Uh, Caribou... Wait, hold on, hold on. Your audio is so wacky. Really? Okay, test. 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 Ooh, maybe we're not supposed to be talking about this. It is weird that it only happens in my headphones. And the one time that we were recording the Patreon encounter on my computer, it picked it up, even though our microphones don't. Oh, that is weird. Yeah. That's super anyway, strange. It's normal now. So hopefully. Okay. If you don't know about Caribou, Maine, let's just say it's very north and it's very out there with fields on fields and it's in the middle of nowhere. On our late drive to my mother's friend's house, we were on a very long, dark road with nothing but woods on either side for miles. As we were driving, the radio in the car started to go out, but this wasn't anything unusual because the signal that far out wasn't really the greatest. But on this night, it was just particularly creepy. My mom stopped talking and everything in the car was silent. I saw her look to the radio, then up to the sky, then to me with utter horror on her face. Me being seven, I didn't fully catch on at first, but when I looked out her window, I saw what appeared to be a moon, only I had never seen it like this before. It was gigantic and it was bright red and white on the bottom, turning orange and then back to red. And it looked as though it was pulsating, but more like it was breathing. (gasps) And my mom swears – oh, I just got chills. My mom swears she saw veins go through it. No. As if this wasn't scary enough, it was happening over a very old cemetery. My mom started to drive faster and it looked like it was chasing us, going faster as we went faster. I had told my mom at the time that if we had a ladder, we could stand on it and touch the moon. But really, I was terrified. And then in a split second, it looked like a deflated balloon and it shot back up to the sky to look like a perfectly normal full moon. My mom later told me that she kept looking at the time on the radio to see if we had been abducted or if anything was going to happen. At least she'd know the time that it did happen. I'm 31 now and my mom and I still don't know what that was chasing us that night, but both of our guts tell us that it was aliens. I truly hope you enjoy my alien story, and I'm curious to see what other people think of this. Stay spooky and watch out for the moon in Caribou. See you on the other side, Kate. Okay, it kind of reminded me about of how in Pine Bush the like spaceship like would get bigger, yeah, visibly bigger when it was red. But I am the veins of it like it almost makes me think like Ugh. all the aliens can yeah. morph into each other, kind of like in Gross. Stranger Things, and a big blob they become like a unit. A cohesive unit and breathe together and exist right. together. It's so gross. It's so weird. Uh, it really, really is. And the fact that it's just this like, again, similar to Delaney's story of this orange bright ball that you kind of confuse with being like a moon or a giant star or something. But then it just acts so bizarrely that you're like, okay, well, that's obviously not what I thought it was. Obviously a UFO. 
And this thing chased Kate and her mom. Yeah, that's so scary. But, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, you hear stories of something chasing you, but then you also hear the stories of people who think they've been abducted and their memories are wiped. Like, it's very possible that it caught up with them, abducted them, returned them to their car, and then went on its way. Well, I think that was Kate's mom's point of checking the time. Because basically, if if she kept checking the time and it was like, I don't know, 9.43, and then the next time she glances at the time, it's 11.07, then it would be like, okay, well, they were obviously abducted. Unless time works differently for the aliens. That's true. Maybe they only need like half of a second. Speaking of time, have you heard that there is – a new like telescope satellite sort of thing that's being launched and once no. it gets into its position within a few days which by the time this comes out i think it should have already been that we'll be able to see the beginning of time what no yeah. uh, i d- what? don't ask me any follow-up questions i don't know how it works but apparently yes i i'm assuming i don't even want to say what i'm i was going to say like oh i'm assuming that it's because of the speed of light and being able to see somehow and see these images and whatever i have no clue how it happens but everyone's like yeah we'll be able to see like the these constellations that have been emitting light that have never been seen before and and they still the particles that were first the what they still exist like they haven't explained exploded the stars haven't like i guess not i mean i sure hope our galaxy doesn't i know but stars burn out (laughs) right star i mean but do galaxies i don't know anything about space galaxies are i guess so much bigger than just a star i guess i don't know i know nothing about space but i've just been seeing a lot of videos on this basically being like we can see back to the beginning of time and i can't even wrap around how my ma- whoa can't even speak well it's be is it because like light travels it takes so long for the light to travel to us like that we're actually well, that's what, what i we'll was see will actually be what was then that's what i was trying to say earlier but oh, said uh. it so poorly <laughs> but then but then i'm like that's what i think but i also don't really understand how things work i don't know whoa. so hmm. i don't know either i really well, don't if anyone else knows please let us know and if you've seen a UFO or been abducted by aliens or are an alien or if you have any ghost encounter, please email them to us at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. You can rate and review us on iTunes. That's hugely helpful. Yeah. It helps keep us in the top charts, which helps other people find us more quickly. Another way to help people find us and help us out is by telling people word of mouth yes. join the pyramid scheme Please. go out tell two people this week and then the next week those two people have to tell two people yes and we continue on until we build pyramids with our aliens our ghost is following up and making sure you all do that and if you don't you will yes. be haunted exactly <laughs> you can catch us on green room app live it's spotify's app called green room you and say you that search. and it makes it sound like we're like pokemon catch really? us on green room Catch us, gotta catch us all. Well, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern, search for Campfire Stories. You can also click on the Campfire Stories event and basically be notified of when when we go live. Oh, I meant to say this in the beginning of the episode, but our Christmas merch that says we wish you a Merry Christmas is back on our Big Cartel website. So you can buy that for the holidays if you'd like or buy your friends and family TGOG merch in general as a great holiday present. We want to say thank you to our editor, Aiden Manning at Upfire Digital for editing our podcast. We are so, so, so grateful that you sit through hours and hours of us talking 
and make us sound. And we will see you you on on the other other side. side.